One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods. For fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands, they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. You know, I get a lot of hate for being a Yankees fan. Well, you know, it's all deserved. And every time somebody tell, tells me something about the Yankees, I was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna have to go home and just wallow in my championship." Nope. And if you were in Boston, you had to have a heart full of love for the Red Sox and a body full of alcohol. I'm assuming it all kind of goes together up there, and, and some <laughs> baked, and some baked beans and a cream pie. I don't know. That's all I know about Boston. Right, exactly. <laughs> some lobster and some Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go pack the car. Exactly. Yeah, see, not bad, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Lauren. And we are the, the Neuro Nerds. Yes, that was on time. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about that. Neuro Nerds. Welcome to the Neuro Nerds. And we have we, we as in me, because Lauren's still traveling halfway around the world being amazing. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Karen D. Sullivan. Karen, I've been meaning to ask you, what's the D stand for? That's a Dorothy. Dorothy? Oh. Dorothy. That's my grandmother's oh. name. Yeah. Oh my, oh my gosh. Please tell me that you dress up as Dorothy for Halloween one year. Of course. And it really is my favorite movie of all time. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, is it really? Oh, definitely. Well, it's such oh. a hero's journey. You know, it's very that, psychological. That makes me so happy. You know, it's, I, I kind of feel like the Tin Man most of the time. You know, if only had a heart. I kind of right. feel like, a, um, or oh, wait, Tin Man was the brain, right? Yeah, yeah, see? Well, see? no, Scarecrow is the Scarecrow. Brain. I kind of feel Sorry. like Scarecrow most of the time, mostly because I'm tall, awkward, and I wish I had a functioning brain. So, um, Karen... Or, or can I call you Karen or do I have of to call course. you back? No. Okay. So, so, so Karen wrote this amazing book that she, she sent us um, in the mail. I'm really, really, really happy about it. I'm really, really excited about it. So Thanks, just man. visually alone, I'm going to post pictures on Instagram so you guys can check it out. It's 
awesome. The cartoon version of you, it kind of needs to be a series. Well, it's actually, we do have kind of a lot of them because if you're not super comfortable in front of the camera, it turns out like there's people around the world who will make you into a cartoon. So on that, that app called Fiverr, I literally saw this guy and he was like, let me make you into a cartoon. And he lives in Micronesia and he goes to an internet cafe once a month. And I just send him pics of me and I'm like, Hey man, make me with an alarm clock. Hey, put a brain in my hand. And then he sends them back, dude, for five bucks. Oh my, hey, guess what I'm going to be doing this weekend. I know, I know, exactly. (laughs) If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. Your reviews help us grow and reach more listeners like you. Find us by searching for the Neuro Nerds on the Apple Podcast app today. So tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. I'll butcher it right now. If you didn't know this or not, I had a brain injury. Yeah, right. And that's why. And and I've already told you this, but you're just so awesome for taking your experience and putting it into this format to help other people get information in one spot and to get psychological support. So I am a neuropsychologist. And why I chose that route is because it is the most realistic and evidence based way to help people who have brain health challenges. I mean, if we just go the medical route, right, we, we become kind of in awe of this three pound organ, right? These cell bodies, these neurons, you know, these brain structures, but we can't ever lose sight of the humanity of brain health struggles. It is a human being who has the brain health struggle. Right. And what's funny is neurologists, my neurologist, and well, I'm not even going to talk about my neurosurgeon, my neurologist and my neurosurgeon, both of them. Amazing. They literally saved, saved my life. Right. Exactly. And I owe them them everything. Right. But incredibly socially awkward. Oh God, dude, no interpersonal skills. I mean, on the whole, right. But here's the thing is everyone also needs in that, that recovery care team is a neuropsychologist, but there's not a lot of us out there. So in my state, North Carolina, we have about 30 South Carolina one. Um, (laughs) I'm sure in California there's more. And you know, what I, what I like to do is what I think really makes me a good neuropsychologist is I'm really interested in giving the highest quality information that I can to my patients. This is really a big passion point for me is I don't think the very people who've experienced the brain health challenge, whether it be stroke or TBI, get enough high quality scientific information. It's really dumbed down. It's not enough. And then there's the whole world of the psych part of what I do, which is, hey, how traumatized were you by this unexpected life event that almost killed you? Kind of crazy, right? That right? you can gain mental trauma from that. Oh, so bizarre. <laughs> well, what's so interesting is is we so often affiliate post-traumatic stress disorder with war and veterans and soldiers, right? right? So the first time it kind of crept out of that was in the 1980s. We started to talk about victims of sexual assault as it related to PTSD. Well, guess what? In the 2000s, we finally started to realize that people with medical diagnoses, specifically, we started with cancer and we realized, hey, guess what? The definition of a trauma is it came out of the blue. It was life threatening and it changed the way you feel about yourself, other people or the world. So guess what? We now know, of (laughs) course, stroke qualifies. Duh. (laughs) So so part of what I love about um, my approach and neuropsychology in general, and we incorporated this into the stroke recovery guide is you're really not going to get as good as you deserve to get after a stroke. If you just go full medical or full physical, you have to process as a psychological being what has happened to you. 
It's a, I, it, I agree with that. <laughs> right. And Joe, I think you're a living, living evidence of this, right? I, I am. So I'm, um, I say it on the show uh, a lot and some people think it's ridiculous. Some people laugh. Um, I'm a recovering Catholic. So right? I was, yep, I I was taught not to talk anything out. I was taught just to shove it all the way down. Right. So I never Stop spoke it. about any of my issues, yep. which led into you know the the high blood pressure i never went to doctors so the high blood pressure went unchecked right um so yeah but now i go i see a therapist once a week awesome and Love it. actually i talk about stuff which is really Yay. weird yeah. it's it's not Different. it's not the most yeah it is it's yeah. not the most natural thing in the world for right. me right but i've learned things over the past two years since i had my stroke i've learned how to process things out which is Huge. crazy yeah because we don't just absorb these things from our environment first of all even if we had good examples and many of us you know let's face it we're raised by people who have significant life struggles i mean the people who raised our parents i mean these people went through vietnam these people right. were raised by people who went through world war ii i mean there's a lot of trickle-down trauma that happens i think so, th that's what helped right? me a lot what yeah. helped me a lot is understanding that you know, my mother, she did the best that she could. Right, right, exactly. But things we know more now today right. than we did back then. Exactly. So, and that's really, you know, I, an, I, it's a very important theme. Like once you know better, you kind of have to do better. Absolutely, you know? right, absolutely. Right, and that's, that's kind of like my mission as a neuropsychologist is, you know, I feel so lucky. I'm a very unlikely uh, doctoral candidate. Mm -hmm. it, it was not, uh, you know, first of all, I'm an eighth grade high school dropout. Wait, seriously? Oh, yeah. Wait, how? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, in Jersey, anything goes, right? You know what? That's true. You may say right? eighth grade. You're a genius. Right? Exactly. But, you know, I, <laughs> I quit high school in eighth grade, got my GED, and then finished my training at Harvard Medical School. So I've got this oh, really wow. unique path, right? Well, first of all, that's just like, I'm just maybe why we're getting along so good. It's like, I like people who do things a different way. You know, I don't. I, I, I really respect people who like work for it, but do it in their own way. You know, right. I think that part of it is I really, really appreciated. Oh my God. I was so grateful to go to Boston university and get my PhD and to finish up at Harvard medical school. And in my mind, the whole time was just this feeling like I have a responsibility to do something with this information. I can't just stay in my academic ivory tower and write papers for other smart people to learn about what my <laughs> smart brain has to say, right? So I'm a big like application of science person. So what happened to me a few years ago is, well, two really major things happened in my career. The whole time I was training, I really just expected I would go into academic medicine. I thought the goal was to be a professor in a medical school. And after I um, was done with my fellowship, I was very pleased to get recruited to UNC Chapel Hill School of Medicine. And a big part of what I did was run the inpatient acute stroke rehab program. Mm. And it was an amazing experience. But after a few months, I was just feeling really, really off. And I couldn't it was like such a shock that I wasn't loving it because this is everything I had worked for for 10 years being in school. Right. But I, it's just the way academics are set up right now. It's very hard to be a true clinician. Like you're stretched so thin. There's all these, you know, you're expected to do so much documentation that basically I had this huge epiphany that I, I couldn't believe it, but I had to leave the system, the system that I was like loving and wanting and coaxing for all these years. It was like, I can't, live up to my responsibilities in this environment. So I broke off and that's why I have my own practice. So I've had my own practice here in North Carolina for five years. But then about two years ago, I felt like I had epiphany number two, which was like, this is awesome. Like my people who come to see me here, they're do 
great. They have these awesome outcomes. I feel like they have processed trauma and we have a care plan for them. But my God, I can only see people one-on-one in this environment. So I started this I Care For Your Brain program. And, and actually, it's funny we're talking because this week is my 100th like I do these live Facebook lectures and they're like a half hour, 45 minutes and people just write me and they're like, Hey, I had a thalamic stroke, teach about thalamic stroke or Hey, how does high blood pressure actually result in a hemorrhagic stroke? And I'm like, cool, let me research it. And let me tell you. So we've got this like tribe of 5,000 people on there right now. And it's so satisfying because it's like, I'm able to be with a larger group of people, just not the one-on-one in my practice, you know? No, but that that's amazing. I mean, like the fact that you can reach all of these people. I mean, that's why I kind of started the podcast. Yeah, that's why we I'm, have so much in common. <laughs> we do. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I know I know what it feels like to be isolated and alone. Now, I have my girlfriend who was with me every step of the way. I have right. friends uh, who are close, but nobody can really truly understand what you're going oh through gosh. unless they've kind of been through it. But see, that's the other thing that's very important in a doctor, in a medical provider is it's really key that they respect that you have that expertise, right? So I have expertise because I've gone to these great schools and I've been a clinician for a while now. But my God, if I don't respect that you have expertise as a patient, if you're gr- <laughs> your girl, I mean, I always say to people, I'm going to print you off an honorary PhD in brain science because of what you've been through. Doctors, <laughs> we have to join with our patients. To, right. to bring two levels of expertise together. And what I'm afraid of is whether it's ego or the medical system, that we don't have enough medical care partners for people. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. Yes. Right? <laughs> I, I, and, I, I and, absolutely agree with and that. And so what happens, Joe, as you know, is people hobble their care together. And it's it's what really gets me is that it's it's just a layer of unnecessary suffering. Right? I mean, you had your hemorrhagic stroke. The little I know about your story, you had a surgery. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I've got, I got this gnarly little Harry Potter star <laughs> on my head. Um, but you, you've got a great attitude, which is a big thing we have to talk about, too, in the land of neuropsychology. But, you know, not only did you have to reinvent the world wheel, I would imagine your girlfriend did, too, and people all around you. And I just think that has to stop. We, we cannot withhold high level scientific information and the tools of positive psychology from people anymore. So I just yeah we're 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 working on it. It's a work in progress. Oh man, right? You know? And and it's kind of like the blind leading the blinder sometimes. Interesting. <laughs> but, yep. But you know we we just always have to just kind of like patchwork it and figure it out because who do we really talk to about this? You right, know, we talk to doctors, right, right. we talk to my 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 neurologist, but yeah, they're not really the most helpful people in the world. Well, they're like, let and, me see your reflexes. Let's look at the scan. It's like all objective. And and what I care about is the subjective, right? What about what about the Joe inside? <laughs> You know, right, right, right. Yeah. The, the, what, what lets you almost dying? <laughs> right. Well, well, you've really done an amazing thing, which is, you know, there's, we talk a lot about kind of the stressful and the traumatic, but what I really like about your podcast is you really focus on post-traumatic growth. Like how did I become a better person because well, I, of it, my, right? I, I had to, I, I had to, I mean, I, I lived. So right. now th- there's, you hear the thing, it's a definition of crazy. It's you do the exact same yeah. thing, but expect a different results. Yeah. Yep. I couldn't do the exact same thing. I fundamentally changed every right. part of my, my, the way that right. I live, you know, right. Right. because I'm, I'm not going to take this second chance lightly. Right. Right. And also I, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't want anybody to ever feel bad for me. Mm. That's one of the things I don't know. It's, it's a me thing. But I don't want people to look at me and be like, oh, well, he's he's doing well for a guy that had a stroke. I want just people to look at me and say, oh, wow, yeah. that guy's just doing well, period. Period, right. You know? exactly. And we, we, me and a couple of stroke survivor friends, we're not just stroke survivors. 
we're, we're exactly stroke, oh my gosh yeah we're, yeah we're stroke thrivers and that's what we, we're we're striving to be we want to be thrivers oh you mean you're not a stroke victim joe <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst that i'm it, really it is. i'm really into that like the language that we use to talk about brain health conditions i mean uh i'm very passionate about stroke but probably you know because of what got me into this field i'm a very big dementia advocate and especially alzheimer's disease is really a oh big my part grandmother of- had dementia mine too man that's that that's a part of the quitting eighth grade i mean there was some other uh interesting stories that went along with that time as you might imagine but she had alzheimer's and i just wasn't fitting into the whole like high school culture and i had a very big bon jovi obsession and we'll talk about that at another time but um but- oh man so so what you're saying is right after eighth grade your your um high school life got shot down in a blaze of glory <laughs> yeah, is that what you're saying that, exactly. <laughs> well it was kind of crazy this is a quick jersey aside but my grandmother lived in Saville, new jersey which is where john bon jovi grew up and so um she knew his mom a little bit and we actually kind of became friends and i started the first international bon jovi fan club with her and that was oh my god i know that was part of my rationale like when i went to my mom to pitch this idea of leaving high school i was like you know that the <laughs> fan club really needs me like what can i say that, that's an amazing <laughs> argument for an eighth grader <laughs> <laughs> like at the time you're like, yeah, 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 this is gonna win mom over for sure. Exactly. But the thing is, my mom is a clinical social worker, and we were just raised with this very strong idea that the most important thing in life is to help other people. And I'm just a very empathic, kind of generous spirit by nature. So I I'd like to think she trusted that I was gonna land on my feet and and I have, thank God, you know. But I, but I-, I think she thought that if she didn't allow that to happen, that you were just gonna stalk John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Well, that might have happened. <laughs> Besides, <laughs> but anyway, um, no, I just think that um, of course we have to recognize people bring their whole selves into a brain injury, right? And I hate right. that idea that then people's identity becomes uh, consumed with this idea of just one simple thing that's happened to you. I mean, you're so, and I love that about your podcast is you're saying like, look, I'm yeah, this happened to me, but I'm also a, a total nerd and. I'm Puerto Rican and I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, you're putting your whole self it's, out there. I love that. Absolutely. It's not just, so, um, I have, we, we have the brain buddies, which is like several of us that, that, um, we have like a, uh, we just try to become advocates for like our community and figure love out it. a way that we can just reach out to, to the masses and help as many people as possible. And Kyle, um, from stroke of genius, he's a documentary filmmaker. Oh, yeah. He uh-huh. gets really frustrated when people call people strokes. Oh, this is so-and-so a stroke survivor. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not just a stroke survivor. Right. You know, exactly. I'm so much more. Right, you know, exactly. Don't call me a stroke survivor. Call me a stroke thriver. That's right. what I got. That. I got that from Kyle. Love it. Which is amazing. You know, like the, the stroke, it's kind of, it's, I remember, and I say, I say this story often, my girlfriend, um, after I had my stroke, she said, Joe, this was a blessing. And I immediately, without missing a beat, I said, I don't think you know what a blessing means because I, I had a cane. I could barely walk, had a hole in my head. And then after, you know, after a little bit, after a little bit of time went by, I realized she was absolutely right. She was 100% right. It was a blessing. It gave me an opportunity right, right. to kind of start over, you know, and actually right. do something different. 
So and when you said helping uh, other people, yeah. that's all that I want to do. Right, like right, I right. have just this passion. It's kind of a problem. So says my occupational therapist, because I'm spending about seven and a half hours on average a day reaching out to other survivors. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, figure, I'm feeling, <laughs> figuring out a balance right now. But, but that's all I want to do is therapeutic. Help. You're releasing all these feel good hormones that are like fertilizer in, in your damaged parts of your brain. So I think that's actually good. And, you know, a big thing with basal ganglia strokes, which I know you shared on the podcast that you've had. Oh, is, hey, that's what I had. Yeah, right. Well, there's <laughs> two things I wanted to actually mention about that. So one is the importance of understanding dopamine when you've had those kind of injuries, because mm -hmm. that that's really the neurotransmitter in that area that really kind of lubricates the system and gets things going. So you probably know that Parkinson's disease is a disease that mostly affects the basal ganglia. Have you heard yes. of that before? Right. I, I have. So what's interesting is there's a whole lot of evidence-based research out there about what to do for Parkinson's that hasn't necessarily been mapped onto basal ganglia stroke folks. So you need to understand that because there's this whole world out there of like uh, moderately intense exercise. And I mean, we can talk about this, you know, off air even here, but like there's things you can naturally do to get more dopamine going through your brain. And that's going to kind of be this like, lubrication that helps you you know i mean you've got even the fact that it's been two years you know every day your brain is still clearing out blood i'm sure and, and you got to yeah, make it's... sure you've got the right fuel in there to keep that going well this april and may our patreon donation spotlight is brain aneurysm survivor amelia clark's new nonprofit, sameyou.org their mission is to create immediate post-acute rehabilitation for young adults who have suffered a brain injury or stroke a portion of our Patreon proceeds will go towards this amazing nonprofit. Sign up to support us at patreon.com slash the neuronerds. Hashtag the neuronerds give back. Oh, yeah, I, I've, I've changed my diet for sure. The exercise for a while, we were exercising regularly early on in my recovery. Yep. But then um, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called post-stroke fatigue. Oh, oh yeah. My goodness. Now, I, when people hear fatigue, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you're tired. No, mm -mm. No, 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 no. It's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. And I I had I didn't have it the first year. The first year of my recovery, I didn't have it at all. Interesting. And I was like, I kept on hearing, oh, this fatigue, fatigue, fatigue. And I was like, that's nothing. And then it hit me and it hit me hard. It was yeah. so I, I couldn't even function. And actually, yeah. for the first time of, of my recovery in my life, I had brain fog. Right. I had brain fog right. maybe about two two weeks ago for the first time. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Scary. That's a, it's scary. That's a thing. Yeah. It's, no, yeah. It's, and I try to explain to, like, quote, unquote, civilians. Like, I don't think we, you know, that term, like, neuro fatigue, brain fatigue, we don't really even have a word for that because my sense is it's, like, bone crushing fatigue. Like, can't put it, two thoughts in front of the other tired. It's it's very difficult to explain. The only people that really understand it are the people that go through it. It's kind of like so I suffer right. from P PTSD um, from so I have PTSD just from the stroke itself. But there was also an incident at the hospital. And when mm. I get set off, um, mm. I try to explain it to people. People are like, oh, you got scared. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't get scared. Oh, no. I, it's I said, J just picture the most frightening moment of your life. Now, it could be an, an accident that somebody was in. It could be somebody being robbed. It could be jumping out of an airplane. I was like, imagine that feeling of fear that you have in the pit of your stomach and, and deep in your chest. Now, imagine that happens several times an hour. Oh my because God, with right. me, sound is, is oh, a big yeah. So if a door slams, yeah. if there's like a loud noise, yeah. I kind of have like these little, little freak outs. So, Even so, still so, now? Yeah, so, you, oh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I have um I have a service dog. My my oh, dog Stella awesome. is actually my my service pup. 
So I was having um, night terrors, which again, people are like, oh yeah, nightmares? No, 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 no. So I, I was having, there was an incident at the hospital and it happened around three o'clock in the morning. And just so happens that once I got home from the hospital at three o'clock in the morning, I would have these gnarly night terrors oh. and four, five, six nights a week steadily. Ugh. So I wasn't sleeping and post um, stroke, post brain injury, sleep is very important. So I wasn't sleeping at all. So I got my, my, my dog. And what she does is she calms me down when I kind of have these freakouts. Awesome. The, the miracle about my amazing dog is she, after about two and a half months, she started catching them before they happened. Because apparently the dogs can pick up on the pheromones. Oh, yeah. So oh, I, yeah. Would, I would wake up and she's breathing hot breath on me. She's hit me with her paw. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like on the verge of freaking out. But I'm not freaked out. My dog is amazing. She's a superhero. Right. Or she totally is. And I love Stella from a distance. She's a good girl. Oh, she's such a good puppy. You know, here's the thing (laughs) is that symptom. And I think this is really important to talk about. There's so many symptoms post-stroke that are a combination of both neurological damage from the stroke and the psychological trauma. So these symptoms of hypervigilance that you're talking about, right? Being very sensitive to noise, your nervous system is like cranked, right? And you don't really know how to bring it down. What I want people to understand is, and I just talked to someone on the phone about this this morning, there is a layer of that that is a very treatable condition, which is the post-traumatic stress disorder. But I'm so afraid people aren't getting that specific help because we get so focused on the physical therapy, on the occupational. It's almost like it's not as important somehow, but yet your quality of life, potentially your sleep quality Absolutely. I I went through that. Almost every single stroke survivor or stroke thriver out there that um, is actually physically doing better that don't have the physical like the visual physical impairments. You you hear the same thing. You hear this. You hear. Yeah, but you look fine. You look so so, and I'm doing the quote fingers. You look so normal. So infuriating. I can only imagine. So with with my with my friends, um, my 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 close friends, I'm I'm you've heard the podcast. I'm an idiot and I wear it as a badge of honor. So. I, I was walking and I didn't have to use my cane anymore. And I was making this, my Joe dumb idiotic jokes and people, Oh yeah, yeah. Joe's back. Joe's Joe's hundred <laughs> percent. Police is just like, he is absolutely not. He is nowhere near, you know, oh. you, you guys don't see the, the behind closed doors, the right. effect right. that the stroke had on him mentally, you know, right. how long were you guys together before the stroke? Uh, eight years. Oh, wow. So we're going, we're going on, we're going on a decade now. Somebody she, she got had her opportunity. Put a ring on it. Somebody got to put a ring on it. We talk about it. One of her friends was like, oh, she she was like, oh, it'll happen for you. She was like, yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) She she was like, a piece of, basically a piece of paper and uh, a ring isn't going to change the way we feel about each other. Right now, we're just, we're saving up for a party. That's what we're doing. Exactly. No, totally. I (laughs) I love that. No, but you know, I think it's important too, to recognize like she has her own unique traumatic experience with your stroke, you know, and, and that was my focus on my Facebook lecture last Wednesday was what is that like to be a, a loved one, a girlfriend, a caregiver in the acute hospital setting? Because, oh my gosh, talk about fragmented care. I mean, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. The focus, of course, as it should be, is on survival and medical stabilization. But I mean, I just even think of the physical environment, the physical room that she had to spend her time in. I mean, I would, maybe she got one of those nice plastic recliners that, you know, she had to like bend her knees and sit there. Right. I mean, (laughs) there's this feeling like I can't leave because what if that's when the doctors come? So you're like chained to the hospital room. You know what I mean? I just, there's so many ways that I get so frustrated by the medical system that it just doesn't seem like ethically 
we're doing the right thing. And so much of it seems to do with insurance reimbursement. And just, oh, yeah. just even if you look at like length of stay, you know, before the 1980s, people were staying in the hospital for like 30 to 40 days to recover oh, wow. from a stroke, right? And then in the 80s, when all this managed care crap started, I mean, we're down to like four days on average for people. I mean, did you feel that's, ready? That's insane. Right? Did you feel um, ready? I... I have no memory, so I don't know what I feel. So I the my my deficits post stroke is uh, tremors in the right hand and right. short term memory loss. Right. A little bit of long term, but that's basically all come back. Um, I have from the moment I had my stroke because I know the exact moment it happened. From that second till about maybe a month later, I have no memory. Wow. I have no memory of the hospital right. or anything. I have. Um, have you ever seen the movie Memento? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. that's what my hospital stay was. Uh, so I start thinking back and I'm like, okay, well, I can kind of piece it together, but it's not a very clear picture. You want to know one of the risk factors for developing PTSD after a stroke is fragmented memory, because part of how we really heal emotional trauma is we find a way to put it together into a coherent narrative. Right? Doc, okay, so one of my biggest issues is, so, well, I'll, I'll give a quick story because yeah. I'm going to eventually do an entire yeah. um, episode about my PTSD and how I gained it. Good for you. Um, there was an incident at the hospital, basically, real quick, yeah. the hospital lost me. Oh, come on. I was uh, doped up on heavy medication, oh. um, and I decided, you know what? I miss my girlfriend. I just want to go home and I want to be with my girlfriend. So at three o'clock in the morning, I got up and I put my clothes on and I left. There was nobody at the nursing station, wandered around the hospital. I made it to security. Security asked me what business I had in the hospital. I apparently said I don't have any business in the hospital. So they told me to leave. <laughs> oh, Joe. What? So I wandered. I wandered the streets of Van Nuys for about three, four hours or so in You're Avenger slippers. What? <laughs> I had, I had, um, I could barely walk because I hadn't walked in three weeks. Oh I had uh, bright yellow bracelets on that said I was a fall risk because I hadn't walked. I had a giant hole in my head and I had hair at the time. And so like, it looked like somebody took an ax to my head and I just wandered around. I didn't know where I was. And so my memory, when I say memento, it's just bits and pieces. And that's what really freaks me out. I know that um, there's a few things that I do know. I know that I asked a few people for help and nobody would help me. Police gets really mad about that, but I'm like, I look like an insane person. I, I'm pretty sure I, I wouldn't have helped me either. Um, I know I was looking for a phone, but there's not really phones readily available anymore. And I know I have a panic attack every time I visualize passing this alley. I don't know what happened. I just know I have a vivid, like a very clear picture of an alley and the bushes that are in the alley and the trash that's kind of like floating around the alley. But every time like I picture that, I have like just this horrible panic fear attack that comes over me and i don't know i don't have any other pieces to that puzzle right and that's where i think my trauma comes from oh definitely oh my god but you know what the thing that's very important to think about with trauma and you're so awesome for sharing that story which is absolutely horrendous and the word lawsuit comes to mind by the way but yeah they're, they're not they're they're oh so here here's what's funny about that yeah van eyes presbyterian yeah. um they did their own internal investigation and they're oh. like yeah, yeah no you you were you were of your right mind when you left oh, and i was like okay. oh okay that's cool even though i was doped up on heavy meds and i had just had a stroke three weeks prior that's cool and you, you had know, i guess i was fluorescent like, yellow bracelets on that said i shouldn't even be able to get out of bed on my own but no i should walk around the streets awesome um, but what's so important is with trauma, you know, the details of trauma at the end of the day, in terms of our spirit, it, they actually fall away. What, what it really is, like I said before, is 
how the trauma affects your sense of yourself, other people, and the world, specifically your safety in the world. So I just wonder about some of that story you told Joe is like, there's some themes there that are pretty disturbing, like people not helping you when you're really that helpless. And I, you know, you can rationalize and, and, and say, well, you know, I, I looked crazy, I but like, you know, emotionally that's brutal. That's, that's, that's tough. And, and, you know, like, am I, here I am so vulnerable in the hospital. Like, why wasn't there a system to keep me safe? I mean, you were, you were out of control and nobody put you back in control. That, that's that's my biggest issue is that I have like major like trust issues now with that's what security, right? you know, so security like he like even, I remember I was coming. I, I forget where I was someplace and they just had like, you know, the security guards that you pay like 10 bucks an hour and they just they're just like regular people. Yeah, I had almost a panic attack going into this place because there was just this dude there. Right. You know, I, right. I some crazy fear came over me and that sucks. Yeah. So but I, I do rationalize. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's <laughs> because it makes me feel to do my my friend in your therapy. You know, yeah, it, <laughs> it makes, it me, makes feel me feel better. better. Right. Of course. Of course. But because I, I actually feel bad <laughs> when I was wandering the hospital. One of my memories is I walked in. I was going in and out of rooms. It must have been like a cartoon. And I remember I walked in a room and there was like a heavy set Filipino guy shirtless in a bed. And he was just staring at me like, dude, what are you doing in my room? Well, and I know the feeling was un, like a, a, just a really uncomfortable feeling yeah. because I apparently was in there an uncomfortable amount of time. Right. So first of all, so I feel bad for that guy. Right. First of all, overweight <laughs> Filipino guy uh, shirtless will traumatize you in and of itself. But beyond that, <laughs> the other thing is that, you know, trauma memories in and of themselves are very different. They are fragmented. You know, you've got this, these stress hormones, this cortisol, this adrenaline, it's coursing through your vein. You're kind of out of your mind. Then you add in narcotics and all of the pain medications that you must have been on, Joe. Even when you were cognizant and laying down new memories, I bet they are funky but memories like they're not it, it, normal it's, it's crazy. oh you, 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 you can curse doc it's okay <laughs> <laughs> what, have you ever heard of have you ever heard of norco oh yes yeah so i was doped up on norco dude yeah and what, what's funny is the first night because i wasn't sleeping and that's why they gave it to me to help me sleep um they gave they were like oh what's your pain level at, at like a 10 i was like it's like a 15 they're like okay cool here take two norco and the next day, I, I hated the way that I slept and I was like yeah. panicky and it was really weird. Yeah. So I told them, I was like, do you have anything else? And they're like, nope, this is what we got. And I was like, oh, OK. They're like, well, what's your pain level? And I was like, it was, it's like a one and a half. I was lying because I didn't want them. They're like, oh, OK, cool. Here's the exact same amount of Norco. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer. But that's, again, kind of this whole revolution that I'm really trying to lead in my own way is like we need patient led brain health care. Basically what happened in that story is what you said was not respected. What you said was no. not validated. There's protocols, right? And we have to go by our protocols. But, you know, how about someone to come in and talk to you about like, how did that feel to, to have that funny night's sleep? Like that could be very traumatizing. You're doped out on all these pain meds. You have anxiety. You're physically infirmed. You're psychologically raw. I mean, where is the psychological support in these settings? Yeah, that uh, it, it was a lot. Even talking about it right now, I'm a little fidgety. Yeah, you're all right. You're all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm cool. It's, yeah. it's, it's different. I never, I never talk about it really. Okay. I talk about it to like my close friends and family, right. but I never really like 
share it. And even thinking about like doing an episode where I'm actually sharing my story, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. But you know what? So, <laughs> the thing, well, first of all, I'm honored that you talked about it with me. Um, the other thing you have to keep in mind is avoidance. Like that is a like, which is what you're doing by not wanting to talk about it. It's very. Normal. Oh yeah, I'm, be I'm being Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's very normal because why would I want to think about something that gets my nervous system all hyped up and I get panicky? But it's really weird. It's like the 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 whole energy that it takes you to suppress those memories. First of all, it's exhausting. You don't realize oh how God. much mental energy <laughs> you're spending. <laughs> Doc, you're like my favorite person in the world. Like, I knew yeah, we were going to become right. fast friends, but like you're speaking my language. Right. But but here's the thing. Like, this isn't me. This isn't you. Like, this is the if we really respect what people tell us about stroke, this is written all over everyone's story. But there's something about the stinking medical system where I don't know what the like it needs to be incorporated into programs and preparedness like this is universal this isn't you you're somehow insufficient because you can't handle these trauma memories like so many right. stroke people have a story where they're like this is really crazy I don't even know if this happened but when they were willing me back from the MRI you know somebody came over and grabbed my engagement ring it's just like it's ridiculous oh my gosh I just did an interview with one of my favorite people in the world one of my brain buddies uh Bridget and she had a story where <laughs> she had her stroke and when she went in, they said, why are you here? And she was like, my husband hit me over the head with a shovel. Oh, my God. Her husband did not hit her over the head with a shovel. She just had a stroke. But in her head, she was like, yeah, yeah, he hit me over the head with a shovel. And not only that, she made up in her head that her husband was sleeping with the nurses and that the oh, doctor and her right. husband were planning on killing her. Right, right. Okay. All of this was made up because right, of what was right. going on in, in her head. Right, so, right. like, we make we weird memories. I remember, so on my random wander i remember i thought that i called an ambulance and an ambulance showed up i was completely making that up in my head oh my god that didn't happen because yeah. an ambulance wouldn't leave me wandering the streets right so the the scientific term there is confabulation and basically the brain the spirit does that because we're so used to living all these decades with linear logical memories and when there's gaps that's traumatic for the brain and the brain's like, no, 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 let's just fill it in. So that's where I think the trauma memories get so funky because you're like, I don't even know if I can trust that what I think I remember actually happened. That is the worst feeling right? in the world. So having PTSD sucks. Having short-term memory loss sucks. But the worst thing is when you're cognizant and when you're aware of everything, not being able to trust your own right, mind. Right, exactly. That, that's, that's the worst. Um, I had that moment with um, my sister where she was mad at me because she was like uh, early on, she was always there and it was about a week. She was like, I haven't talked to you in a week and you haven't let us know what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you kidding me? I text you like every single day. And then I looked at my phone sure and I was enough, like, yeah. oh, I haven't texted you in a week. Right, right. Something's wrong with me. That that was the moment where I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I had a brain injury. Right. Like there's yeah, something yeah, yeah. there's something not right. Well, the other thing, too, is I think you get very you have to become very internal and kind of like by default, like selfish after a brain injury just because you're managing so much inside your own head inside you you know to suppress things oh shit don't say that like oh you know use your right. filter right and oh look at my hand damn it here i am two years later and the damn thing's still shaking like you just become very internally focused and that's part of what changes for people who are in your love circle you're not as able to there's not as much space in your brain for other people. And that's something to work on, but it's also it's, real. 
Yeah, I, I call it bandwidth. I just right. don't have that enough bandwidth, you know. Right. And I I was um very rea- I'm very reactive, right? Uh, and I don't mean to be. Yeah. I I just am. I get frustrated really quickly. Yeah. And like my me being overwhelmed, like you go from like zero to ten. Right. I, I start like I wake up every morning at like a five. Right. So I'm already halfway there. Right, exactly. So like I need to bring this down. Right. I think my, about my it. Ther- yeah, I think about it like a wick on a candle, right? So it's like your mm-hmm. wick is already like a nub by the time you wake up, you know. But part of it you have to realize like what you do, you know, sleep, like you said, it's such a critical part of stroke survival and thriving and and what we think of is like oh i need this for cellular repair and it's very true especially after a hemorrhagic stroke there's literally all this like blood product in the brain and it, the brain hates blood i mean it's like oil and vinegar it wants the immune system which you know the brain has its own immune system we've just figured this out in the last few years we used to think there was one interconnected one the brain has its own immune system i mean how cool is that and so what right. what your brain does in deep sleep joe is it's getting in there and it's munching and it's getting rid of that blood and it's throwing it away but the uh, we have this whole other psychological reason for deep sleep which is basically incorporating trauma memories and trying to figure out what is that cohesive narrative. So every night when you're sleeping, not only do you know this because of the night terrors, but I'm sure you are processing what happened to you over and your brain is desperately trying to figure out what, why, who, when, right? And that's exhausting. Constantly. Constantly. So one of the, one of the, um, I've looked into this, like, what does the, the scientific literature have to say? And I recommended this to a patient of mine about a year ago, and it really helped, was to make a hospitalization photo journal, like a photo diary. Really interesting, because if you just think that is what my brain, my psyche wants, is I have to understand the beginning, the middle, and the end. You you have to put together the story. That's the only way you're going to really find peace. Oh, man, I'm having issues with my, my, my therapist. I'm not having issues with my therapist. But she was like, so if you never under, if you never know what happened, can you live with that? I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) I'm like, I'm struggling. She's like, can you just accept that something terrible might have happened and then move on? I was like, no, I just can't. If I think long enough about aliens, I know somebody (laughs) knows that they're, I I know somebody knows an answer. I don't have that. But if I think about it long enough, it'll bother me because the information is out there and I don't have it. Like, it'll literally drive me crazy. Is that a a pre-stroke personality trait? Absolutely. (laughs) One of the things about, you know, so you had this basal ganglia hemorrhage. And so that's in the part of the brain called the subcortical system, which, you know, the brain, you can really think of it as three basic systems. So the gray matter, the cortex, the gray bumpy stuff you think of on the outside, that's really like where we store information. Under that, of course, is the subcortical section. And that's just all these little organs that are kind of like the motor part of the brain. It helps with new learning. It really is like the meat of the brain, right? So within that subcortical area, there's a whole bunch of structures that we just loosely push together and call basal ganglia. So one challenge I have for you, and this is a part of the stroke recovery guide, is you. I think you actually have a little more homework that you can do, Joe, because there are five to six structures within the basal ganglia. And I think you need to know where, so there's the thalamus, there is the caudate, there is the uh, putamen, the globus pallidus, the substantia nigra, the, the midbrain. The, these, are, these are words. These are words. <laughs> no fact checks were needed in this episode because Dr. Sullivan knows her shit. And it matters because I think what's so important after a stroke is to have 
all of your stroke symptoms validated because the things other people can't see, that's what makes people feel like, I think I might be going nuts. Oh, I feel that at least twice a day. No. And so that's like, yeah. So I I talked to my therapist and I was like, yeah, I think I'm slowly descending in a madness. No, you're really not. No. So one of the, why I even thought of this was, so one of the structures in the basal ganglia is called the thalamus. And basically the thalamus is like your brake pedal, right? And so when it's healthy and normal, it's just constantly riding the brake. And when you need to do something like have a movement, you actually let up on the brake and it allows you to move. So one of the reasons people have tremor, because I I was listening to your podcast, trying to be a sleuth and figure out where you had your stroke. (laughs) I think it could have been thalamic actually, because the really what a tremor is, is basically parts of the basal ganglia it's like a brake pedal and a gas pedal, and it just can't smoothly transition back and forth. And so that really what a tremor is, is like, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop. It just, it's just back and forth. And so the brakes don't work as good. So many times in a stroke, after a stroke, people have trouble with the filter holding back. And it seemed like you might've had trouble with that beforehand. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I, I was trouble with that beforehand, but there, there's been a couple of times since where I'm like, what, what either, why did I say that? Or right. why did I do that? Right, right. right. I, I had an issue. I was having a conversation with, with my girlfriend and literally in the middle of the conversation, I turned around and I walked away. It was so rude. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and she was like, that was really, she got like really mad at me. And in my head, I was like, why, why did I, why did I do that? Right, right. Like, why did I, why did I do that? Right. I didn't mean to, right. but I just did. And I was like, oh brain right thank you to our amazing community on patreon for supporting this podcast you can support us too and get different perks and gifts depending on which neuro jedi tier you sign up for for example if you're on our neuro padawan five dollar tier then you're probably listening to this episode a day early before it's public release your support helps us grow and continue to create this podcast plus a portion of the proceeds go to a different cause or individual in the brain injury survivor community each month Sign up at patreon.com slash the neuro nerds. What I think, though, is so um, powerful and impressive about you is two things. So one is you're, you're a very naturally emotionally resilient person, right? So one of the things I write about in the guide is emotional resilience is key after a stroke, but sometimes you're born with those genetics. And I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that is part of your natural genetic personality. But it also, yeah, I think I was pretty much born amazing. Ah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it also can be learned. So how you show that, Joe, is by you don't put on the negative filter. You're not like, woe is me. This is my life now. I just, you know, you, you just try to come at it from a position of empowerment and how can I help other people? And and that's really, really huge for other people and what you're giving to all of us, but also your own recovery because you're finding meaning in it. And that's the key. Absolutely. The people that I see that don't do good, they get way too into the limitations and and it's like their identity isn't flexible, right? And so it's like right. if I can't do the things that I did before perfectly, then I'm nothing. Right. No, you, look, uh, to me, I always say it's it's like the X-Men. We've evolved, you know, we're, we're, we're almost like we're like Pokemon. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I think it's all perspective. Right. If you if you just look at it, I, I have issues with my family because like we're again, Catholics. So it's you focus heavily on the negative. And I'm like, yeah, not everything is bad. Right. Not everything is bad. So it it depends on what you focus on, glass half full or glass half empty, you know, and me early on in my recovery, when I was reaching out to other survivors or like looking at their stories, 
I'm, I met a, 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 a fr- really good friend of mine in Australia, and, and she's never had feeling. She had a pediatric stroke, oh, wow. and she's never had feeling in one of her sides. And she is one of the most amazing right? artists I've ever right? seen, yeah. and I've never heard her complain about right. anything. She's one of the most right. positive people. So anytime I have an issue, I'm like, why am I complaining? Right. She is pushing forward and doing it with a smile on her face. And that's, I, I got to get get off my butt and push forward. And that's what really speaks to the power of community, which is really why, you know, people bitch and moan about Facebook all the time. And, you know, it's sucking up our energy, which may or may not be true. But it allows me a free platform to connect with thousands of people around the world, just like, you know, in a podcast. And And I think what would feel the worst thing to me if I had a stroke was to feel alone and to not feel oh. understood, it would just kill me. Yeah, I, I felt that the first year of my recovery oh my until I met my, until I found my, met my co-host, you know, I met her randomly at a party and, really? and I was talking about my, my, my issues and she was staring at me. And for a second I was like, I hope she knows I have a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when we talked, she told me about her concussion because she had a severe concussion from a car accident and she had been going through the same things as me. She's like, I haven't been able to talk to anybody. Nobody really understands. And, you know, and then once we talked to each other, I was like, oh, oh like we speak the same language. Exactly. And I've met several survivors since. And every time I meet another survivor, it's like, oh, oh, like we speak a secret language. Right. You know, it's like it's like pig Latin. Like only oh. only we understand it. And and I love that. And I just think it's so powerful. I try to always match patients up with other patients who've had similar experiences when they're interested. <laughs> Are you a stroke or brain injury survivor looking for community and support? Well, the NeuroNerds are here to help. Join our hashtag YouSoRock Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash YouSoRock to connect with other survivors like you. Plus, read other inspirational brain injury survivor stories on Joe's blog at JoeSoRocks.com slash YouSoRock. And submit your stories there as well. We want to hear them. And remember, you, you so rock. rock. <laughs> I guess what I got bummed out about is like, where's the medical professional partner in there? Like, yeah, I always want people to get like, I have not had a stroke yet, but I just think, you know, we pay so much money from our taxes to go to science, right? And I think that's awesome. That's how we make advances. But I don't think we're completing the loop of responsibility with getting that information back to people. And, you know, people are like, why do you, why do you do these free lectures? And it's like, I just think it, someone just needs to be a translator. I'm not making any of this stuff up. I mean, some of it is like my clinical care and my own passion and ethics, but so much of what I talk about in this I Care for Your Brain program is stuff that I just go to read scientific journal articles and like try to put two and two together and just explain to people in a way I hope people can understand like, hey, you've got this symptom, like here's what worked in one clinical trial from Portugal in 1985. Like, why don't you give it a try, you know? So, so what I love about your book immediately, it's not like when I thought book, I was like, oh, it's, it's like a, a, a book book. It's actually, it's, it's almost magazine shape. Right, exactly. And what's beautiful about it when, when I was skimming through it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is really cool. Do you remember the highlights magazine? Oh my God, I live for in school. I live for So those. the highlights magazine, I loved, I wasn't the greatest student in the world because I'm kind of an idiot. But I love the highlights magazines. And this reminds me of like an adult stroke survivors highlight magazine. Oh, my God. What a comp. The amount of the, the information that it gives is incredible. I love the the, the cutouts for the positive. Like, oh, I love oh. everything that you've done in oh, here. It's Joe, beautiful. So, so, so t- 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 tell us a little bit about your book, oh. because I, I mean, I can't wait to finish it. But like, uh, t- tell us a little bit like like why you started it and, yeah. and how you kind of gained all the, the information about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I was just getting two things. I was getting 
more and more uh, frustrated with just feeling like I wasn't connecting with enough enough people who needed the help of a neuropsychologist. And then the brain fitness industry started really pissing me off. With I, I'm very like, you know, and people there, I lose people with this in my audience because people want to believe these quick fixes work. But I'm relatively anti-supplement. I'm not a big brain game person. I think that life and conversation is the best brain game. I really believe in community and interpersonal health and your your own personal psychological well-being. I'm not one to think you should be alone with a uh, iPad and, you know, be getting bedazzled jewels into a wizard's lair to help your brain. I just don't think that that's where it's at. I think we need to bring more humanity back into the brain health conversation. So I just was thinking, you know, these are like eight to $10 billion industries, Joe, of like, oh, play this game or, oh, take this memory pill. And honestly, it's complete crap. I mean, you know, Prevagen is the number one memory supplement. This is the one with, you know, take the insides of jellyfish and we'll put it into, okay, been accused of fraud by the federal government, has had to pay millions of dollars in fines. Lumosity, the biggest brain game people on the planet, they've been accused of fraud by the government. But yet I think there's a gap in why people go for these because there's nothing else. There's no, where do you go when you think, oh, I want evidence-based brain science? Like there's just not a public resource, right? right? People go to magazine articles. And what happens with that is you just get the blurb. And I just don't, I just believe what people really want is in-depth, high-quality information. What is more personal to you than having had a hemorrhagic stroke? I mean, come on. If, if you've ever yeah, wanted yeah. to know anything about anything in your entire life, and it's like, I just didn't think there were resources. So I just started going around in my community in North Carolina and really talking with older folks about how to reduce their risks for dementia because of my own experience with my grandma. But then as I was doing this um, Facebook thing, it's been about, I'm actually on my hundredth uh, brain health lecture this week, which I'm so psyched yeah. about. So rad. I can't believe it. So fun. And I met so many cool people, but um, I just thought, you know what? The people who are really coming out of this Facebook woodwork are, sh- are stroke people. And it's the number one most common neurological injury. And I think if I really put my mind to it, I could take a good year and a half, two years and really write something that was if, as if I was this person's care provider, you know, we have to be very careful with laws and licenses. And I have to be very careful in the book to be like, you can't read this and change your meds because things I say, you know, but I just felt like I can't, right. I can't be a part of the system where people aren't getting better just because they don't have access to information. And I think there's a lot of, that's crazy. Oh, it's such BS. Well, honestly, like I talked with a neurologist recently and I showed her the stroke guide. Oh God. And I really love this woman and I respect her, but she said to me in private, don't you think it's a little too high level for patients? Don't you think it's a little, a little too complicated (laughs) for people to really get? Because, you know, we're talking about these high level concepts like neuroplasticity and enriched environments and neurotrophic hormones. And no, I, t- I was like, absolutely not. I mean, it's all it's about not. How it's, you it's the way it. that you lay out the information. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's the way you lay out the exactly. information, you know, and the way you've laid out the information in your book is amazing. Because, uh, well, again, I don't know if I've, I've, I've hammered this in or not. Joe's kind of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten that but but, you by, know, it, by what you've said and what it's, you've not said. No, I'm just kidding. 
No, but you know, I have to give <laughs> no, props. It's beautifully you know, laid out. You're so sweet. I have to give props to my illustrator too, my graphic design partner, Carrie Fry. I wanted it to be, because, you know, people learn in all different ways. So you got your hyper verbal people like me and you've got your very visual people. And that was very important to me that it had to look like it was inviting. The other thing that's, I think, very good about it and I'm very proud of is that it's interactive because until oh, yeah. you personalize information, like people, I have scripts in there on how to talk to doctors, how to find out. It's, people sometimes don't even know where they had their stroke. This makes me crazy. Sometimes people aren't even told from their brain scans they had an, another little mini stroke before the big one. I mean, the withholding of information from medical professionals to me is a public health crisis. And I, I just couldn't not be a part of the solution anymore. And so actually, it was kind of funny. It was really a Facebook group that inspired me called Young Stroke Survivors Global Network. I was on vacation in North Carolina last January, and a woman just wrote on there and said, you know, they've given me my eight sessions of PT and OT, and I literally feel like I've been thrown off a cliff. I'm completely lost. I don't know anyone that's had a stroke, and I don't know what to do to get myself better. God, that's the worst. I know exactly what that feels like. Right? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I actually went outside on the deck. It was a beautiful day. I took a picture and I just thought, I have just been so divinely inspired. And I just knew in an instant that the next year to two years of my life was going to be spent writing this book. And so just to have it out now, it's going to be available June 5th. To, To have it in people's hands is like, First, it's very interesting, you know, as a psychologist, it's a vulnerable thing, though, because it's like been this private thing for so long. And like, it's so it's so personal. Right, exactly. So honestly, to have you say the kind things like you don't even know, like that, that means so much to me. And it's very um, cool talking with people kind of. And so you're my first podcast, Joe. Oh, hey, there's no better way to break into podcasting than with the neuro nerds, at least one half of the neuro nerds. And and when it comes to your books, when it comes to to me, I don't throw out compliments just because like if I say something like I truly mean it or else I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, it was a book (laughs) (laughs) out of out of all of the books out there. This is definitely one of them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's it's actually really really cool like it's just visually alone at first i was like oh wow this is this is really cool looking and then as i I started going through page after page i was like oh wow oh wow oh wow like it's really really cool and it's it's digestible because um for stroke survivors myself and and a lot of us out there a lot of information is very hard to take right it's 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 like i always refer to everything as noise right right. it's noise right exactly um, the way you laid it out, it's it's almost in like bite-sized chunks. Oh, it's just enough. Dude. It's to the point. I, I'm I I love it. I knew we were gonna become fast friends. Like I knew that. And I knew I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to say nice things about the book. Even, <laughs> if, even even if the book's terrible, I'm just gonna have to say like nice things. This is amazing. Like I really really mean that. Dude. Like I love dude. everything about. Dude, it. you're making my day. Um, one thing I did just want to say because you know there are other stroke guides out there, and I looked at them all, and I was like. Think I can offer a cool new neuropsychological perspective. Oh, oh my gosh! Do, yeah. I'm sorry to cut no, you off, but do, do you do you look at the other stroke guys and you're like, Psst. I was like, get out of here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'll show you how it's well, done. Well, first of all, very few address <laughs> like coping and trauma and psychology and all that. But what's hard, the challenge in writing these books, is everyone's brain is really different from the jump. Right from the second you're born, you are so unique. 
every single stroke is different. Every like you even said to me, like, okay, you know, I had a basal ganglia bleed. Well, yeah, but also you had some, you know, extension as they call it, which you nicely shared with me. There were other parts of your brain that got involved. So really the truth is, is it really wasn't just a basal ganglia stroke. And then people sometimes forget with brain surgeries, you know, of course you needed that. Of course, with a hemorrhagic stroke, I mean, there's a lot of concern about like brainstem herniation because, you know, we've got this finite space in our skull. There's really not a lot of room for any visitors and blood. Oh, right. Space, right? <laughs> so of course you needed it, but we can't forget neurosurgery is its own form of traumatic brain injury. I mean, that adds a whole nother layer. Right. Oh man, I had an issue. So I have a, a, my Harry Potter scar. And when I got home from the hospital, I was really weary of taking showers. Yeah, right. And I know it sounds ridiculous, oh. but I was like, I think water's going to be, right. I think I'm going to get water in my brain. Right. And police kept on telling me, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's healed. You're not going to get right. water in your brain. Right. I, I, I still, till this day, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten water in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, what's critical to appreciate is both the uniqueness of stroke, but also the universal things that will help stroke. So what I decided was my best way to help was to come up with 10 rules of rehab that are kind of like these principles that once people really understand them, they can be applied to aphasia, they can be applied to post-traumatic stress, they can be applied to, I have a hand tremor. It's really like there's rules that we under, I mean, a lot of it comes from animal literature. It's really interesting. Like, what we know about the so-called enriched environments. And and basically it comes from rat studies. I mean, we hate these little, oh. <laughs> right? We hate these little bastards running around, you know, especially in New York, right? But, <laughs> Absolutely. but man, have they taught us so much about the brain. So basically, you know, they take rats and put one alone in a cage and they give it the same food day in, day out. It's got no wheels, no stimulation, no other friends. And another rat is in there with a bunch of buddies and they've got wheels and they get different food and they get sugar water and there's all, you know, they, they have sunlight and they have darkness. And then they sacrifice the animals. They look at their brains under a microscope. And the one that was all alone with no stimulation, it's got these weak little puny brain cells. The ones that are in the so-called enriched environment have these unbelievably healthy interconnected brain cells that with an injury are the ones that really come back and can regrow the net. So my whole thing was, Let's just like, what is an enriched environment for a human being? And I think what's hard for people to understand is with recovery and rehab, it's not all about go, go, go at a high level of intensity. You have to juxtapose it with just as much tenacity for your rest and your sleep, but also acceptance. I wonder how you feel about uh, that, Joe, because so uh, many, so many people are like <laughs> recovery at all costs. If I'm not back to the same 100% person I was before the stroke, like that's it. That's the only definition of success. I just think that I'm right. a very, I'm like a optimistic realist. I totally, I mean, this is now I know we are fast BFFs here and we have a lot in common, but I have to tell you, <laughs> I am a nerd of a different sort. I can't really understand sci-fi. I know you're going to kill me. I've never seen Star Wars. <gasps> dude. I know. I know. I know. I, I literally I have a tattoo on my arm of Star Wars. He's Yoda is part of my stroke survivor tattoo. <laughs> and I love that for you. <laughs> Right? I'm shocked. I know, I know. I'm just so freaking hard-headed <laughs> with reality. I'm like, how could I watch that when there's a documentary about science that I could be learning from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Right? So I, I, I always ask everybody who's ever on the show, like, what's your nerdum? I think we just exactly, figured it out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but what's so important there is um, 
that, you know, we, we also have identity that is not just built around stroke. It cannot become your sole identity. Yes, of course you're a survivor. Yes, you're a thriver, but damn it, you're really just mostly Joe, Joe who likes all that stuff, you know? And so personalizing your recovery and bringing all that in, I, that was an important part to me of this recovery guide. I just wanted people to bring more of their unique selves into their rehab. It's not a cookie cutter thing. It's very, very personal. And so that's why it's interactive. So there's a lot of write-ins and like, I'm a big one too for like with the way the medical system is changing. The truth is you have to be your own advocate. There's no way to get better. It's crazy. Right? If I didn't have Felice, right? I would probably be in a ditch somewhere. Right? I mean, I re- she's like the best advocate in the world. And she could, she could not be the, a better caregiver. You oh know? My God. Um, I wouldn't know how to do any of this right. stuff. Like I, I really wouldn't cause it, they don't make it easy. And my girlfriend is a genius. Everybody should know this, but it's, it's difficult for her. You know, like it's crazy how, many hoops you have to jump through just to get any kind of information. And that has to stop. And if I know that problem and I've been so blessed to get into these amazing programs and finish my training at these amazing places, damn it, I have a responsibility to do everything in my power to communicate that information. And now it's so fun because I've been working in private for this last year and a half, like, oh, coming up with this guide. So honestly, I, I really can't thank you enough for being nice enough to let me come on and talk about it a little bit. It really means so well, much. This has been amazing. But you, you know what I, I, I would love? I would yeah. love for you actually to come back on the show at some point. Holla! Because th- this this has been this has been fun. It's been fun. It's been very informative. Yeah. And we talk a- a- about we we have a lot of different perspectives. A yeah. lot from the stroke survivors. We have um you know uh, concussion survivors, brain injury survivors. Right. Uh, we we've had caregivers. You know, I've had Felice on the show. We recently had the best friend of um, somebody who who had um uh what three AVM surgeries. So like it's all different perspectives. This is amazing to have your perspective. And it's also amazing that you understand that neurologists and neurosurgeons are very socially awkward. Well, you know what I always (laughs) tell my patients? I always tell them, you have to remember, people chose different branches of medicine based on their personality, right? And like, for me, if I were to be a neurosurgeon, first of all, I'm probably not that smart. Second of all, like that, I doubt that highly. That's not where I live. Like I live, people say to me a lot, like as a psychologist, God, how do you talk to people about this stuff all day? Like, aren't you depressed? You know what would depress me would be talking about nonsense all day. Like, I, <laughs> I only care about what's real, right? That's my whole thing, like anti-sci-fi. Like, I, I, you know, <laughs> we're only alive for a very, very short amount of time. I want to have the most human experience that I possibly have, which means living in the interpersonal world. So that's that's why I'm also so passionate about neuropsychology, because as much as I hope to help other people with neuropsychology, it honestly helped me. I mean, it saved my life in its own way, because I I can't even imagine another profession where I would get to be my nerdy self and research and know all this stuff. But also, I'm such a a helper by nature, and and I just want to soothe and comfort and connect. So that's, that's another... I just wanted to make sure I said while I was on your awesome podcast is if you have had a brain injury of any kind, oh my God, please go see a board certified neuropsychologist. It's not a name that rolls off the tongue. People think of the neurologist and the neurosurgeons or even the PT, but a neuropsychologist, I'm telling you, we, we can be your best friend in the guide. I talk about what we are, how to find one of us around the whole country that's board certified you know, we're really the ones who bring it all together. I think you would agree. We, we have amazing specialists, but damn, sometimes they have these little microscopes and they can't see the big picture. 
<laughs> They're so focused and, on their one thing. And as you can tell by just hearing uh, Karen speak, she's kind of awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely go go speak to, uh, go find a neuropsychologist. I think I'm going to seek out a neuropsychologist. Oh, dude, let me help you. Honest, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't really I didn't really exactly. know a whole heck of a lot about that because I did I did see my neurologist and I did see my neurosurgeon. Yep. And again, very thankful yep. you guys saved my life. Yep. But you guys aren't very helpful. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and also, they're not great about being like, hey, by the way, do you know about a neuropsychologist? So no, no, no not not, not right? at all. So like, I think there's five pages of my book that are dedicated to like, hey, let me tell you about the coolest professional you know nothing about and what we do. And, you know, our evaluations to me take the amount of time that you need to respectfully understand someone's struggle. You're never going to get it from a 20 minute intake in an outpatient setting. I don't give right, a crap right. because it matters to me where you grew up and what your family was like. And did you have any other traumas before this stroke? Because guess what? Trauma is cumulative and that also matters. Yeah, I, I found out, re well, not recently, over the past year that I've been in survival mode since I was like seven yeah, years old. Yeah, right? <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been in fight or flight since I was in single digits. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> so that, that definitely led into the stroke. Right, but, Everybody out I think everybody out there should see a psychologist, period. Totally. But if, you, if you've if you had a stroke, totally. absolutely go find right. a neuropsychologist. This is amazing. People like Karen are awesome. Oh, you're so good. But you know what's so cool about you? I got to say this again, my friend, is that you took something that was really so difficult and, and you're also you're leaning in and you're using it as an opportunity to heal stuff that actually has nothing to do with the stroke. You're going back. You're looking at family stuff. You're thinking about survival mode when you're Absolutely. seven. So if people could just have the support to increase their emotional resilience, like I said, there really are ways people can do this and then be able to face it and, and, and to not give in to those avoidance feelings, those feelings like I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. It's actually the tool <laughs> that keeps all of the BS going. I know, but oh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a vicious cycle. It is exactly, and so if someone, you know, maybe even just some of the tidbits from today, like I think when it's validated and you don't feel like, oh, I'm some kind of freak because the minute I see a security guard, then my heart starts pounding. It's like that makes perfect sense to me as a neuropsychologist. I mean, first of all, your brain has paired that with all the trauma of the stroke. Oh, such a bummer. Right? It, re it really is because I'm like, uh, number one, I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yeah, and I was like, number two, like, I I'm, I'm vain. I don't want like people to like look at me and see like me freaking out. And like, I, I, I don't want that. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm working past that. I go, I, I go to but therapy. You know what can you be know? another, it's, it's I think too, um, somatic therapies, like, you know, so much of trauma because we cognitively and emotionally avoid it literally is an energy that goes somewhere. And so when you don't process it directly, a lot of times it comes out in our body, muscle tension, uh, high blood pressure. Hello. Um, headaches, sick to my stomach, unexplained, you know, gastrointestinal issues. Um, just so many different aches and pains, fatigue, so many different things. And so Sometimes if you kind of bypass the thinking part of yourself and go into the body, whether it's through massage or biofeedback or, you know, guided meditations or I mean, honestly, even things like primal scream therapy. I know I'm reaching way back into the psychology archives with that, but like <laughs> you got it's energy that has to be released. And I think the fear for a lot of people is I'm afraid if I release it a little bit, it's going to consume me. And I'm, I, I'm like, I'm afraid to cry because I'm, I think I'm never going to stop crying, but it's that, right, it's right. that fear, that barrier. That's like the glue that is holding your trauma together. And so there has to be a way I to move that it. With, 
Yeah. I had that with meditation. I wouldn't meditate because every time yes. like, I would get quiet and yes. just be alone with my thoughts, yes. I would go to very dark places. So, but now I've meditated basically every single day since I've been out of the hospital. Love it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's good for you guys. Right? <laughs> Come on, let's break down these barriers. Exactly. So, exactly. So where, where can we get this amazing oh, book? Oh, you're so sweet. Well, I have a website called uh, icareforyourbrain.com and it'll be on there on June 5th. Um, but also really, I feel like my community is kind of on Facebook. Like, um, so I have a page on there, I care for your brain and we have about 5,000 people and people are so engaged and, and so kind with the way they connect with each other. And once a week, every Wednesday at six, I do about a 45 minute free science-based brain health education and empowerment talk. We're doing a lot on stroke now because the stroke guide's ready to come out. And of course, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> like, I didn't know about oh, this. Wait, do I have any? Hey, hey, I think this just became my new Wednesday oh, thing. Nice. This, this oh, is man, awesome. I, so we'll, we'll, we'll put all your links in the bio oh, and like, you know, we'll not throw it up on all the socials. So and th this is amazing. The community, I always say it like our community is the greatest community in the yeah. world. Everybody is so helpful and giving yeah. and caring. Yeah. You know, and all we want to do is help one another. And, uh, you know, the, the community needs more people like you. Oh, it, it really, really does. If you haven't had a stroke. Hopefully, to be honest, you're right. never actually part of this right, community. Right. <laughs> but my God, but we right. need people. Right, like right, you. right. It's not OK, though, that doctors who know a lot, uh, like I'm lucky enough to know, just sit back on their laurels and go to their daily appointments and eke out information. I mean, I just think it's part of the responsibility of being gifted with so much in this life it's just critical to give back and you know that joe you live that yourself i did yeah. i did but the 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 key key part and and that is i live so no matter right. what i'm happy to be right. here and that's i think that it's i know it's like a really low baseline but i'm alive i'm breathing oh hey that's awesome just think about it like that because really easily we couldn't be or we could be helped by a machine right. we're not we're here and we're here not to like talk about all the mean nasty awful things that we can't do we're talking about all the things that we can do and the things that we're going to exactly. do so that's that's what i'm looking forward right. to and in reading this book i'm, I'm excited uh, what i am going to yeah. do is finish this book and my <laughs> occupational therapist is going to be really really excited about it too this is like my occupational therapy during the oh, week oh you're so sweet well i'm just psyched to get the word out there like i said you know you're the one bringing me forth on your awesome podcast but i'm trying really hard to connect with other people in the stroke community i've got a couple other times to chat with some other awesome people but by all means every I'll put, I'll put you in contact with a few other people oh man too. you're so good it's it's what it's all about it's just community and I, like I said the best outcomes for people is when their expertise as a survivor a thriver is recognized but I do think you need that academic medical expertise too and so that partnership is what it's all about so man I'm just so lucky to live in the time of like podcasts and Facebook because shit talk about isolation imagine people 20 30 years ago holy crap so some of my closest friends i've never met and they're thousands right. of miles away you right. know but we talk regularly right. and we can we've connected we've literally become family because of this well, I'm you know technology is amazing as much as it's destroying us right. because no, no. i've seen terminator this does not end well for us right. <laughs> well, I'm pretty, it, it's it's incredible i'm pretty much wanting in on this inner circle so i'm just hoping you know after today we got them. hey we got hey wait, you're, you're you're my Bye. kin you're you're my kin you speak my language even though you know maybe i'll try to convert you at some point to becoming a yankee fan okay. i don't know how far i'll okay. get but i i'm i'm persistent okay well you know, I, I am persistent we'll work on karen i gotta tell you this has been a, a pleasure and a joy for me it was, it was a little bit more emotional than i actually thought i was gonna get, get. 
but you did great. That that just that just tells me how amazing you are because I don't talk to anybody about this, you know. And 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 I shared with you and the people out there, which forty countries I'm listening in. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Thanks to our sponsor, Avid Technology, for providing us with the tools, or should I say, Pro Tools, to record, edit, and mix our podcast and get our message out clearly to the world. Try Avid first to start recording today for free at avid.com slash pro dash tool. Yay. Yay. So all you guys out there, I really appreciate um, all your support and listening to us. Definitely go to icareforyourbrain.com at icareforyourbrain on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. And on Facebook, is it the same thing? I care for That's your brain. It. Wednesday, six o'clock Eastern That's time. That's it. Eastern. Yep. I'm in. Six o'clock Eastern time. Be there. I will absolutely be there. Awesome. This is a pleasure and a joy. Karen, we're family now and you absolutely will be on the show again at some point, right? Awesome. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Dude, hit me up anytime. She she said it now. She's exactly, exactly. (laughs) So as always, the neuro nerds, we are here to help follow me at Joso rocks everywhere. Follow Lauren at Lauren El Manzano on Instagram. Follow us at the neuro nerds everywhere. Definitely go check out. I care for your brain.com. I care for your brain on Instagram on Facebook. Definitely check her out on Wednesday, six o'clock Eastern. I will be there. And on that beautiful note, this neuro nerd is out. Awesome. Yeah, that was so cool. That was, that was super dope. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.